Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a quick take on the weekend of news about Hillary Clinton's health and a few other things. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And hello from beautiful JFK International Airport in New York. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. So where are you traveling, Tam? I'm actually coming back to Washington, D.C. I flew late last night up to White Plains, New York, just in case Hillary Clinton was going to fly uh, to California on her planned trip. That trip was canceled, so I spent a night in White Plains, and now I'm coming back. So when Hillary Clinton gets sick, you get a day off. Oh, oh, this is just like a day off. Totally <laughs> just like a day Hanging off. Out in JFK Airport. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, we are here today to talk through the last day or so of news. It's been a very... Um, 2016 chock full of news weekend. Let's start on Sunday. It was the 15th anniversary of 9-11, a time for quiet reflection. Uh, and mid-morning, news breaks that Hillary Clinton has left a 9-11 memorial ceremony early because she got overheated. That was the word from her campaign, right? Well, it took a couple of hours even to get that word. So Hillary Clinton leaves. Uh, a press pool is not with her, does not follow her. We then found out that she was at her daughter Chelsea Clinton's house recuperating. And then this video came out. It is from just a regular citizen, not a reporter, who saw her pass by and started recording and then and then saw her wobbling, her knees buckle, and and the Secret Service has to help her get into her van. But the campaign at this point, for about two hours, doesn't tell anyone anything. Then they say Hillary Clinton is at her daughter Chelsea's house. She was overheated and she is recovering nicely. Then Hillary Clinton appears at Chelsea's apartment, waves, says she feels much better, and then disappears again to reappear at her home in Chappaqua. And then hours later, we hear from the campaign and get a statement uh, from her doctor. That says she has pneumonia. Yeah, that says that, in fact, she was diagnosed with pneumonia on Friday, uh, and that then at this 9-11 event, she became overheated and dehydrated, and that she was recovering from those things and taking antibiotics. I would just say that, you know, when we heard Friday, that raised some eyebrows because that was a couple days earlier, and we didn't know about that. And from a transparency point of view, you know, when you're in the press and you're, you know, you're covering these candidates, you usually find out about that kind of stuff, and you're supposed to find out about those kinds of things as generally as soon as they happen or if something big is happening. Uh, and we didn't find out about yeah. that, and they purposely didn't want the press to know because they wanted to see if she could power through that. And, you know, this is all an even bigger issue because for so long there have been these conspiracy theories supported, of course, by no credible evidence or reporting that Hillary Clinton has some major health problems. And the fact that they delayed two days helps feed into that narrative that that is out there, that that Clinton is not entirely forthcoming about her health or about her emails or about a whole lot of other things. That's in part where the, the trustworthy numbers come from, the challenging trustworthy numbers that she faces. Right. Yeah. We should say, though, somebody getting sick with pneumonia doesn't mean they've got brain damage exactly. or, you know, some other failing health issue. Yes. So my question with all of this, you know, whether or not she has to disclose this, is the campaign under any obligation to share this info? And if so, when do they have to share it? How quickly? I mean, also, we have to kind of look at this in the context in which Trump shares his health info, and he shared less than Hillary Clinton has. Well, let's think about for a second Trump's transparency. We still don't have his tax returns, and, you know, that's been a modern 
presidential tradition, he hasn't released that. There's a whole lot that like we even, can look at. And like even Trump's doctor's note that he released a few months back um, was not up to par, really. Can I read part of it for you? Sure. Okay, so this letter comes from a Dr. Harold in Bornstein, who is a gastroenterologist. He says, Mr. Trump has had a complete medical examination, and that showed only positive results. Um, and then he goes on, actually, his blood pressure is 110 over 65, and laboratory results were astonishingly excellent. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. Yeah, and that he'd even be the like in the best health of any, any person ever. who's ever run for president. So, you know, there's certainly issues when it comes to what we know about Donald Trump's health records as well. He said he had a physical this week. Things show will be great. And he's going on the Dr. Oz show. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, just to be like, Dr. Oz is not the most credible medical expert. No, and he's not. So all that to say, I mean, there is enough critique to go around on Trump's and Clinton's health records. How should both of these candidates deal with these issues going forward? What is the right strategy for Hillary Clinton in talking about her health? I think one of the biggest problems that Hillary Clinton runs into with this and like we talked about is when you play into a narrative of vulnerability, that's your biggest problem from uh, the campaign. That's when these things tend to stick. So her campaign acknowledged that they were not being as transparent as they could have been or should have been kind of late in the game for that. They need to make sure that they're on top of this kind of thing going forward, that they are giving all the information so that they don't play into a narrative. Just politically, strategically, it's really not a smart thing to do. David Axelrod, who was an advisor to President Obama, helped run his campaigns, tweeted out this morning, quote, antibiotics can take care of pneumonia. What's the cure for an unhealthy penchant for privacy that repeatedly creates unnecessary problems? It is a dig at the Clinton campaign and at Clinton, and it is based in in reality. Well, it's also coming from a a position of frustration or a place of frustration because I think for Democrats, they want to see her win and they don't want to see her blow it in this case against Donald Trump, who they all think would be far worse for the country. Speaking of Trump, he um, stayed quiet on Sunday about this, but he was asked about it in a Fox and Friends interview this morning on Monday. Here's what he said. Why was the press kept in the dark for so long? Well, I really just don't know. I hope she gets well soon. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm like you. I just uh, I see what I see. The coughing fit was uh, a week ago, so I assume that was pneumonia also. I mean, I would think it would have been so. Something's going on, but I just hope she gets well and gets back on the trail, and uh, we'll we'll be seeing her at the debate. So that was how Trump reacted. Uh, Tam, we also heard from the Clinton campaign this morning, right? So the Clinton campaign, realizing that it maybe didn't handle things and admitting that it didn't necessarily handle things in the most transparent way over the last 48 hours or so, is now saying that it's going to release uh, more detailed medical records from Hillary Clinton. Brian Fallon was on MSNBC with Andrea Mitchell earlier today. We've been in touch with uh, her physician uh, this morning to get those materials together. We're going to be releasing that to to further put to rest any uh, lingering concerns about what you saw yesterday. I can attest, uh, Andrea, that it really is the case that that there's no other uh, undisclosed condition. Uh, The pneumonia is the extent of it. My Uh, question is this. When we ask candidates for president to release their health records, how much do we want to see? Because there's some stuff we shouldn't see, right? There's some parts of someone's health history 
that we should not have access to. Yeah, and I think that this is part of the problem just generally for a lot of people who don't want to run for office is because forget your health records. I mean, every other piece of your life is torn apart. It's what they sign up for. And when you run and you're almost 70 years old and you have the two oldest candidates combined on average uh, that we've had running for president, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan was the oldest sworn in in a first term. Uh, Donald Trump would be the oldest, by yeah. the way. Um, this is part of it. I mean, if you're if you're an older candidate and you're running for office, people are going to want to be reassured that you'll be able to serve out four or eight years. Exactly. John McCain, when he was running in 2008, did release like a thousand pages of medical records. What he did was they they let reporters come in and look at him for three hours. Um, He went beyond what most candidates normally do, which is sort of an extensive medical letter. But there was pressure on him. And I think there's similar pressure now on both Clinton and Trump because of their age and now because of the pneumonia, coughing fit, etc. Even if the campaign staff had handled things differently... If we or the media saw footage of her collapsing, it would have been a whammy either way. Like, how do you, like, doesn't matter what the staff does, she collapsed yesterday. I agree. And I think that part of the problem is it's sort of this double-edged sword for her because when we're talking about like how much information is too much information or what can you bring forward, I think Hillary Clinton in particular has had a difficult time with this kind of thing, not only because of her pension for privacy, but also because she's a woman and a woman running for office. She's had to show herself to be you know, tough and firm and have a backbone and you know, be up to the job, quote unquote, in a way that probably a man wouldn't have to be under that kind of microscope for. And then at the same time, when you have all these conspiracy theories out there, imagine if, on the other hand, you have Hillary Clinton say, they come out and say, well, you know, on Friday she's diagnosed with pneumonia, so she's not going to go to the 9-11 memorial. Clearly, she would have rather pushed through this yes. and had and not have to deal with talking about, you know, having pneumonia uh, at all. So this story makes the first news of this weekend actually seem pretty far away. That was a whole basket of deplorables comments Hillary Clinton made this Friday day at an LGBT fundraiser. Uh, She said that you can put Trump supporters into basically two baskets. You know, to just be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. (laughs) Right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. So then she goes on to say that the other basket is people who feel the government has let them down. They feel the economy has done the same. And they feel left behind. They don't buy everything he says, but he seems to hold out some hope that their lives will be different. That they won't wake up and... See, their jobs disappear. Lose a kid to heroin. Feel like they're at a dead end. Those are people we have to understand and empathize with as well. And so this immediately became a thing right away Mm -hmm. with the hashtag basket of deplorables trending very quickly. You know, this falls into the category of things said at fundraisers that are perhaps inartful, perhaps 
come across as elitist. Now, we should say this was an open to the press fundraiser. So it's hard to say this was an accident. And she said it before. Right. But not quite in the same way. Right. She didn't use the word half. And that was, I think, the biggest problem with this phrase, because she had said on Israeli TV. If I were to be grossly generalistic, I'd say you can take Trump supporters and put them in two big baskets. There are what I call the deplorables, you know, the racists and the, you know, the haters. And, and uh, the- she said this at a fundraiser that was reported in print two Sundays ago. So in, and ironically, trying to woo Republicans is how she's been doing this. One of the at one of these events, Meg Whitman introduced Hillary Clinton. Meg Whitman, the Republican uh, former gubernatorial candidate in California who runs Hewlett Packard, uh, she was introducing Hillary Clinton when Hillary Clinton used basket of deplorables. And, and Hillary Clinton's way was trying to separate out people who she feels are hateful or bigoted, alt-right types who she she was trying to isolate from other Republicans, mainstream Republicans, to try to woo them to come to her candidacy. Yeah. So she are, she released a statement soon after saying that she regretted her choice of words. But just as quickly almost, there was an ad from the Trump campaign. It came out this morning, actually, uh, that makes use of that phrase. Speaking to wealthy donors, Hillary Clinton called tens of millions of Americans deplorable. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. The racist, sexist, While she's speaking, the footage in this ad is of Trump crowds at Trump rallies. And of surprisingly diverse members of Trump crowds. People like you, you, and you. Deplorable. You know what's deplorable? Hillary Clinton viciously demonizing hardworking people like you. And what the Trump campaign has pushed uh, all weekend is, you know, shots of uh, Trump walking around shaking hands with police officers and saying half of these supporters, uh, Hillary Clinton says, are deplorable or, you know, some other group of people. Military veterans. Right. That most Americans would say are not deplorable. Uh, And I think part of the problem here when you say half, whether or not you want to argue that there's some basis in numbers or whatever, there was no evidence that there was like some half number. Plus, it's just an unforced error. You know, you go in and you you name call to millions of people because yeah. Trump has millions of people who are supporting him either way. And there are clearly things that people have said at these rallies that have been, you know, hateful yeah. or even deplorable. But to put everyone or half of everyone it's in that basket is problematic now, for someone running to be president of everyone. Though we, When we say that she released a statement saying she regretted her word choice, she didn't really walk much back. All she apparently regretted was saying half. Right. Yes. Um, beyond that, she stood by it, said that there is racism, there is xenophobia, there is sexism, and and that Trump has given it voice. He has amplified it by retweeting uh, people who are white nationalists. Um, really, the only thing that she isn't standing by is the half thing. And lots of Clinton supporters have come to her defense and said, well, there's lots of data that suggests that a lot of Trump supporters are racist. Right, Domenico? Yeah, that's true. And look, she walked the line much better in her speech about the alt-right. She's usually a very careful speaker, and it's important to speak with some carefulness. And if you're going to cite data, cite data about things that are actually real. For example, you know, earlier this year, a fairly Dickinson poll on conspiracies found that 
Trump supporters were more likely to be suspicious of President Obama's background, that they're more likely to be discontented by demographic change, that they think illegal immigrants falsely, by the way, are more likely to commit a serious crime or that immigrants are a burden on the country, that Muslims should be subjected to more scrutiny, that the U.S. is becoming too soft and feminine, by the way. A poll found more than two-thirds of Trump supporters believe that. It bothers them that when they encounter immigrants who don't speak English, almost two-thirds of them say so, that the government's paid too much attention to uh, the problems of blacks and other minorities, uh, that we're better off as a country to stick to more traditional gender roles and tasks. So these are the kinds of things She could have pointed to those things. She could have pointed to those things to say some or to point to the percentages, but she didn't do that. It might be cathartic for Clinton supporters to feel like she's throwing a label out there, but this is what happens as a problem when you just label everyone. Here's my beef with the deplorables comments, and it's actually my beef with the way a lot of Americans are talking about racism and race in this election. We are very, very, very quick to label other people racist. And we start the conversation that way, knowing that it actually shuts down a conversation. Whenever you begin a conversation with a blanket statement of you're the real racist or you're the this or you're the that, you don't find any common ground. You don't move forward. You don't take the conversation to the next place to make real progress. And what you saw with these deplorable comments is Hillary Clinton effectively shutting down any combo that could have come out of that. Now, she did something different in her alt-right speech when she said, I'm going to speak to certain examples and data points that support my case. That's a much better way to talk about race and racism. Donald Trump today in in, in an interview where he was expressing being upset about Clinton's remarks in the same conversation called Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, which he has done many times before, which is not the most racially sensitive thing to say. Definitely not. I will just say all of this is to put a fine point on the fact that Hillary Clinton's comments distracted from real things that Donald Trump did over the weekend that would have been beneficial to her campaign. And they got far less coverage than they would have. For example, Donald Trump on Friday at a campaign rally said that if Iranian boats were to make inappropriate hand gestures uh, or get too close to U.S. ships, then he would blow them out of the water. And by the way... With Iran, when they circle our beautiful destroyers with their little boats and they make gestures at our people that they shouldn't be allowed to make, they will be shot out of the water. Okay, believe me. And this apparently was because last week um, a few Iranian boats, smaller boats, got within 100 yards of a U.S. coastal patrol ship in the Persian Gulf. It forced uh, the larger battleship, the USS Firebolt, to have to kind of maneuver out of the way to go around these boats. And this was the fourth confrontation in the past month, the 31st of these in the past year of these kinds of incidents. But these are the kinds of things that the military has been dealing with without opening fire. I mean, if you're calling on the military to then go and open fire, you're essentially creating an act of war. It tells you what somebody would be doing as president. And that kind of thing certainly got overshadowed. And Clinton's team knows better. Okay, it's only Monday. 
on a more positive note, we got to say a big thank you to Richard Fudge from Memphis, Tennessee. He sent us some drawings he did, inspired by the podcast. Uh, got them through actual mail last week. They were so nice. Made my week. Richard, your drawings are hanging on our desks right now. Thank you so much. You guys can check out Richard on Twitter if you want to see what he drew us. He is at Richard Fudge Art. Okay, that's it. We'll be back with our weekly roundup on Thursday. Until then, you know where to find us, the NPR One app, or email the show at nprpolitics at npr.org. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And if you want a little bit of joy, uh, you can uh, start hashtag basket of adorables on Twitter. You could find my, uh, my, my inaugural tweet of a bunch of puppies in a laundry basket. It was really cute. <laughs> I retweeted in solidarity. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>